Right. For the last three weeks, we've been doing a series on the gifts, our personal spiritual gifts, and how those fit into the church. And what I'd like to do today is just to extend that one more by talking about how, what the values are of the church, what, what, why we exist as a church. And my goal is to summarize the values of New Life Church using the churches at Antioch as a model. I was reading the book of Acts in Acts chapter 11, and I was reading about this church, and I was thinking, amazingly, everything that, that, that we believe about why New Life Church exists, we can just see so compactly written out in this description, this story of the church at Antioch. So... Um, what I'm going to do is just give you a, uh, a, a, um, an, an introduction, which is a need for a plan, and then we're going to look at seven values coming from this church in Antioch, and we're going to look at how we respond to those. Now, it's important to have some kind of values when you're building something. If you're an architect and you're building a building, you've, it's a good idea to know why it's going to be there. Uh, if it's a road system, you know, want to know what the purpose of the road is. If you don't have an idea of that, you'll end up with something not very useful for a church. So the goal then is to have something which is, which matches its purpose. I once heard a preacher ask the question, what is God's job description? Now you might, that sounds kind of funny. Well, of course, God can do anything he wants to do. Why does God need a job description? But if you say, you ask, well, what does God love to do? What's he, he love doing? And it seems that what God loves doing is undoing the work, the bad thing that, that Satan has done and turning them, flipping them into something actually good. So he takes what Satan has done. So the cross is a good example. What Satan has done on the cross is like kill the, the son of God. And then he turns that into actually the greatest victory of all time. And he takes lives that are so broken and damaged. And then he turns them into wonderful, amazing people. Um, but his main tool for accomplishing this is the church. He's chosen that his people should be his hands and feet, his voice in this world. We're the body of Christ. And Jesus didn't stop working 2,000 years ago. He continues to work now. And so we are not just individuals, but we are like a body together who are doing this job. Now, for some people, their vision of church is something like this is uh, Notre Dame Basilica in Montreal. And, um, you know, it's beautiful building. I mean, I could admire the architecture, but I don't think I would be comfortable worshipping there. It's just not like it's so much of a distraction for what the church is supposed to be. It's a beautiful building, but it's not actually we are the church as a people. We are the church. And uh, will we ever own a building, this New Life Church? Well, Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Maybe just for big meetings we'll rent the Sky Dome. Who knows? But, but uh, the church is not the important thing. So if we're going to say, well, where do we find plans for the church? Where do we find an architectural design? Um, well, Jesus gave us, did give us some plans. In fact, he gave us the whole book of Acts. And then he gave us uh, some letters to the churches as well as that. And... Uh, so one of the questions is, was the book of Acts 
intended to be a pattern for the church? And this is a good question, because some things in the book of Acts obviously were unique. The day of Pentecost was a unique event. Um, Many people have, have asked this question, and there's a very good answer to it. When you look at, when you study the book of Acts, and uh, I did my master's thesis in the book of Acts and spent a long time studying it, you see events happen in pairs. And it's like Luke has chosen two of lots of different events to put them together to show that actually they form a pattern. And people think that he's taking the model from the Old Testament law court instruction that in a law court, in order to prove something, you need at least two witnesses. I can see somebody trying to get in at the back there, if somebody wouldn't mind letting them in. Uh, There's at least two witnesses required, because then if two witnesses agree, you get it proved. And Luke is giving us at least two examples of things to to show there's a pattern. So the argument is, if, if it just happens once in Luke then it's probably you know, a one-off like the day of Pentecost. But if it happens more than once with similar things, then Luke's giving us a pattern. So an example of that would be there's two accounts of, of, of um, uh, Paul preaching to pagans where he has a, has a totally pagan um, audience and you can see the way he addresses the gospel in that. Two accounts of the church in prayer and the Holy Spirit coming in power. Two accounts of Paul's testimony given when he's preaching the gospel. Uh, two accounts of people being raised from the dead. Um, two accounts of, um, let's see, um, missionary journeys where there are churches being planted. And you could go on and on, on looking at the pairs of events that happen during the book of Acts. And so... Um, the, the two main churches that are described in the book of Acts are the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch. If we look, if we go to Antioch today, we, this is the modern city, um, probably the foreground will look a little different without, with a parking lot. Probably the middle and the back is very similar to what it would like, look like then, except maybe the cell phone towers probably weren't there then. But that's the city of Antioch, and we're going to look at the story of the city of Antioch. So, where is it? If you look at uh, the Mediterranean Sea from, from your side, the sea's over there, and the, the sea will be there, and the land is down here, and Jerusalem is now towards the bottom, and the, uh, the city of Antioch is up the coastline from Judah. So, it's not in a predominantly Jewish area. It's a predominantly Gentile area. So, what happened was, in Acts, to start off with, it were just in Jerusalem. And then they spread out a bit in the area around about. But things were really very focused on Jerusalem until something happened. That's when Stephen was martyred. He was put to death, the first martyr, stoned to death. And that stirred up a huge persecution and people had to flee. And so at this point, we see uh, the, the, the story taken up. And this is in Acts 11. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus, so Cyprus out into the Mediterranean Sea, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And then, 
it says there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, Hellenists were people who were Gentiles, but they were following Jewish practices. They really, they worshipped the true God, but they were not ethnically Jews. And so they would be considered Gentiles, and because God had revealed just earlier in Acts that the gospel was to go to the Gentiles as well, they began preaching to Gentiles. And what happened was the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So a church is born in Antioch with not just Jews, but many Gentiles coming to God in that. And what I want to focus on, this is the first value, evangelism and growth by God's grace. Evangelism and growth by God's grace. And I want to particularly look at verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and the great number who believed turned to the Lord. Have you ever had an event in your life where you can say, I know God's hand was with me at that time? I know God's hand was with me. Um, can anything be more encouraging than knowing God's hand is with you? Just That's just such a, a wonderful expression. Um, the hand of God, what could resist his hand? And if that's with you, that's amazing. Um, evangelism without God's hand is impossible. It's like making stones come alive. It needs God's supernatural power. Um, in my life, there have been some times, particularly last year in 2018, when I just saw God's hand with me. And I thought, this God is moving. This God's power is there with me. It's such an exciting thing. And we're going to pray at the end that God's hand is with you. That each one of you can say, God, I know God's hand is with me. Because that's when you see the impossible happen. You see life come from the dead. Let's just read on what happens here. Uh, the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas, who was one of the leaders, to Antioch. So the church is planted. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So you can see then this uh, uh, church being born, many people being saved. And first and foremost, we are about making followers of Jesus. Our first value is to make followers of him. Any way we can, we want to reach this city. When we were getting started, there were a couple of pictures that we had of what God wanted to do. One of them was from a vision that Ezekiel had of a valley of dry bones. I don't know if you're familiar with this vision, but Ezekiel was a prophet from the Old Testament, and he was uh, he he was taken into this vision where he just saw this valley, and it's just full of bones, just bones everywhere. And he's told to prophesy that they're going to come to life, and he prophesies, and eventually a wind blows, and it's the Holy Spirit, and the the the, the bones all come to life and they become people and that's what it's like when God brings salvation because God brings life where there is no life uh, the other image that we have as we started New Life Church and you'll have seen this before in everything we do is this photograph which Heather took for us uh, to, to picture what what we're about and this is a sidewalk 
It's a concrete gray sidewalk. And growing out of that sidewalk is new life. And this is why we're called New Life Church, because we want to see new life where there's nothing. We want to see where there's barrenness and death, supernatural new life. And you probably know that plants growing through concrete can do amazing things. They can actually, through the power of their roots, can actually break the concrete. And so new life is the name of our church, and new life is what we want to see. New life for people who don't know God, being brought into his kingdom, and new life for people who know God, but they're not living victorious lives, to be brought to live in victory in the Christian life. New life because the hand of God is with us. So that's the first thing that I want to see as a value of New Life Church that we see in this passage. Uh, As we move through, we'll see another six things. These are the order they come in the passage, not the order of importance in particular. But the second thing we see is a high value on developing people and bringing them to maturity. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Well, who's Saul? Well, he's the other name for the Apostle Paul. Some people think that uh, he changed his name from Saul to Paul when he became a Christian, but actually it's not that complicated. Saul is his Hebrew name, Paul is his his Greek name, and when he started predominantly working with Greek people, he used his Greek name. So Saul is the same person as Paul. He'd been saved not that long ago, and he had an extraordinary knowledge of the scriptures. In fact, he was the very, very best teacher they could have had. And so he gets Paul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Just imagine what it would be like to get a year of Bible school from the Apostle Paul. I mean, the book of Romans, you can read, probably in an hour, you can read the book of Romans. Just imagine a whole year of Paul explaining every question you had. That would have been extraordinary. And Barnabas was so keen to develop the gifts in this church. He said, I'm going to get the very best trainers here. I want to get Paul to come and train this church. Because uh, we are building something here. We're building a foundation, and they were going to be the sending church for the whole of the mission to the Mediterranean, to Rome, to Spain, to Turkey. All of that was going to come out of Antioch. And so he needed the very best gifted, developed people there. Um, and Paul didn't just teach with his words. We know that Paul taught with his whole life. Paul discipled people. We know that Timothy was somebody that Paul saw, recognized something in him, brought him into his team, and developed him into a great leader. Paul was somebody that developed people's gifts. <clears throat> and I, I, this is something that we want to do as a church, and we, we're determined to do as a church. Personally, I've been very blessed by people developing me when I was, when I was 17 years old and just became a Christian, and I went to a, 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 a young people's group in the church, and the guy who led the church really pushed me out of my comfort zone and, and started me getting speaking to the, the, the others in the group. 
And I remember the first time I spoke, I was, I was just sick. I locked myself in the bathroom. I thought I was going to throw up. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And I thought, well, I don't know how I'm going to do here, but God, you just have to do this. And it went okay. And they asked me again, and it wasn't quite so bad the next time. And I, they pushed me out of my comfort zone and then supported me and encouraged me. And because of that, people um, determinedly developing my gifts, I was able to develop that. And God did that in me. And we need to push one another. We need to be to be doing that. And uh, one of the things we do is we have something called Word Team, which we're planning to have in a couple of weeks' time. And there's some people here who are going to be participating in that opportunity to grow in their gifts. And I'll be talking to some people afterwards about that as well who don't know that they're going to be asked to do that. Um, so this is a, a high value on developing people and bringing them to maturity. And associated with that is being strong in all the spiritual gifts. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And if I'm right, uh, Agabus stayed there in, in Antioch and because we meet him later on in the book of Acts. So this is, prophecy is one of the fivefold giftings, five gifts, uh, gifted people mentioned in Ephesians. The others would be apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we see all of them here, even though, um, Pastors are not explicitly mentioned. Barnabas is obviously a pastor. Um, and we see uh, all of these gifts in the church being developed. And I preached a couple of weeks ago on our gifts. And I had a, a list, uh, a whole set of sheets I was handing out. And if you didn't get a sheet two weeks ago with an inventory of gifts, Come and see me afterwards. I've got lots more here because our process is that we are looking at, at what gifts you have. And this is just beginning the discussion. We can, this is just a starting point. But what gifts you have and what can we develop? So we're developing all of the gifts in the church and seeing them all because we need to be strong in all of the gifts. So uh, that's something we see in this church and something that we want to be developing. Well, what's interesting here is uh, here's a gift of prophecy, and um, what happens when he prophesies this? He prophesies there's going to be a famine over all the world. That's the known the Mediterranean world, and there's going to be. This is going to lead them then into an, an activity. Uh, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So what happened was, prophecy is designed, it's supposed to build the body up. In fact, all of the gifts are supposed to build us up, but particularly build us up as a community. Now, you can imagine that there would be potential for rivalry between the first major church in Jerusalem and the second major church up in Antioch, the church that was predominantly Jewish, and the church which had all these Gentiles joining it, there could be rivalry. But what happened was they decided they were going to give a great big gift to this church. 
coming out of the prophetic word, which would be, was a wonderful thing for cementing the love they had between the two churches, between these two groups that could have ended up being in rivalry. And uh, so uh, at the top there, I've said, love one another sacrificially and respond to social needs. Sacrificial love to those in need demonstrated in practical ways. So our value is to be a church that loves one another sacrificially and responds to social need. This is a value that we have that we should develop as a church. The kingdom of God must be demonstrated as well as taught. When Jesus came, Jesus didn't just preach but he healed the sick, he ministered to lepers, he, he, he went to the outcasts of society. Now, of course, the physical needs are not the most important thing, they're the spiritual needs, but it's a picture, it showed his love, it showed his care, it showed his concern. So if we want to demonstrate that we love this city, we need to be about caring for people's physical needs as well as their spiritual ones. And we're very interested in this as a church. Uh, uh, a few years ago, we began a program called Christians Against Poverty, which we had some success, but we felt it wasn't exactly what we wanted to be doing as a church. Um, but we are looking at other ways that we can respond. And in this city, there are so many social needs that we must respond. I'm currently in discussion with the Young Street Mission, who work with homeless youth, about what we can do, and I hope something comes out of it that anyone here who wants to be can involved, be involved in that ministry. But, um, but this doesn't have to be organized all the time. This can be just on a personal basis. You see somebody who's in need and you respond to it. You respond to love in one another, just out of the love in your heart. And this is part of a value that Jesus wants to have in our church. Jesus said to his disciples, by this shall men know that you love one another, that that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And so loving one another in this way has to be a core value of who we are. So in Acts 11, there's an interlude there where in chapter 12, where Herod persecutes the church, and they collect this gift together, the one they collected up there in verse 29. They collect it together, and Barnabas and Paul head down the coast to Jerusalem. And it's a little bit like the book of Acts is like a movie, and the camera is following these two people down the coast to Jerusalem, and they give the gifts at Jerusalem, which is very well received, and then they go back up the coast to Antioch, and it's as if that then becomes the center of the movie. And from then on, for the rest of Acts, Antioch is the center, and you see things going out and coming back to Antioch, and becomes the focal point until the very end, where the focal point shifts to Rome. And so in the spread of the book of Acts, we're seeing the focus being moving now to Antioch. And uh, so just to give an outline of overview of where we are, um, we need a plan when we're building, and we're looking at seven values from the church in Antioch. And we've done uh, four of them so far. New life, evangelism and growth by God's grace and favor. Second, a high value on developing people and bringing them to maturity. Three, strong in all the spiritual gifts. 
and four, love one another sacrificially and respond to social needs. We've got three more values and then we're going to look at our response. So, as I was uh, thinking through what we value in New Life Church and uh, what is it that God's doing here, one of the things I really value is the diversity that we have here, that we live in a very multicultural city. And the multicultures are reflected in this group, which is really wonderful. It would be very weird if we just had one particular culture reflected. I shouldn't say weird. There are a lot of churches that have just one particular culture reflected. But that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is actually diversity. And the diversity isn't just one that's ethnic. It's also in different levels of society. And so as I was thinking of this, uh, I noticed that actually this is to the forefront in the description of the Church of Antioch. Because when uh, when the story is picked up again in chapter 13, Acts picks out this diversity. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas... Simon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So these are from different ethnic backgrounds and strata of society. Um, So uh, one of them is actually a member of the court, like his nobility. Um, Ethnic was a man from Cyrene. Uh, which would be different ethnically. And Simon Niger was the Roman term for being dark-skinned. And he's pu- he's picked that out to demonstrate to us that in the leadership here, there is diversity. Uh, and uh, then when you look at the... Um, and then Saul, of course, who's from a Jewish background, a very kind of um, educated Jewish background. And when you look at the disciples of Jesus, you see the same sort of diversity. Of course, they're all from within the Jewish culture, but you see from like fishermen to people who were actually fairly wealthy, and they were all together in Jesus' disciples. And this actually is part of the the supernatural work that God is doing because you get people coming together who wouldn't normally come together. I I saw a documentary not long ago about um, the archaeology of the early church buildings that they found. In fact, they weren't even before they had buildings. They were just meeting in homes, but they they used the space for a church. And they said there was evidence there that that slaves and, and, uh, and wealthy people were like just meeting as equals and how this was totally foreign to the culture of that time. But they said, and this wasn't Christians saying it, this was part of the genius of Christianity, that it grew so quickly, because it had this remarkable um, equality. And so I want to say that this is a, this is no accident that Luke mentions this, and that it's an evidence that this comes from God. It's something that is is supernatural, and that I think we need to respond to this because even within a group that's diverse, you can end up just just talking to your own tribe. You know what I mean by that? You've got a few people who you normally talk to. They're your little tribe within the, within the church and you're comfortable with them. I want to urge all of you to talk to people that you don't normally talk to, to break down the, the barriers and, and the groups so that we are all truly one 
we all truly come together. Because that is such a witness to this world, and it's something that really empowers us as a church. So that's my, that's the response I'm calling you today. To, to, to step out of your tribe, and your tribe might just be your comfort zone of people that you happen to know. Step out of that, talk to other people, and just build the body in that way. Um, the next one. Seeking God in prayer. Seeking God in prayer. A valuing of prayer and God's presence as our source of their strength. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, it says in verse 2, and this is, uh, this is uh, something that they were spending time doing when God came and brought an amazing new work. And this is uh, a value that uh, we need to grow in they depended on God totally. They didn't just read the latest books on church strategy, church growth strategy, um, but they really depended on God's strength. And uh, we had a great prayer meeting on Thursday. I've really felt God's power there. It was really good. But we need to grow this. We need to we need to be developing in this. And so I want to give a plug right now. Um, March 28th, we have a church prayer meeting. It's just in the room, just by the entrance, the chapel room there. I'd like to see everybody there. So this is our response to this. Let's all come out March 28th. Nearly just under four weeks' time, Thursday night, and we'll pray and we'll see God's power working. Uh, a few years ago, we had a visit from Topi Colioso, who's a, a good friend of mine in the UK, and he started leading a church when there were about 60 people, and there were about 2,000 people now over several congregations. And we, and he gave a talk about how the church grew, and he said it's prayer. It's prayer is how our church grew. And so it's the power of prayer. And so you, you have a church in, in Antioch and the key values that they have to see the hand of God with them is prayer. Uh, and the last one that they have uh, is, is missions. And a church that has missions at its heart and is a strong sending and resourcing base. Continuing verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Now, I want to see this. Uh, We have all the nations of the world just about gathered here in this city, and we can do cross-cultural missions without even leaving the GTA. We're in a remarkable place here. And so when we talk about missions, we don't necessarily mean going to another country, although it can include that. But really, it means stepping out of where you are into groups that need the gospel. And uh, in Canada, we have two very large groups that I would love to see the kingdom break into. So one of those groups is the the French Canadians. And when you look at statistics in French Canada about number who are born again, you see it's shockingly low, worse than most countries that you would think is completely non-Christian. They have a higher percentage than than Quebec does. And so I think that as we grow, it must be on our heart to see the gospel reaching into Quebec. And also our First Nations brothers and sisters, seeing the gospel uh, reaching into those communities and really uh, uh, doing amazing things into those communities. Um, But also, as well as that, uh, I would say that 
We have uh, an amazing opportunity with refugees in this city who've come, many from Muslim countries, and reaching into the, the lives of refugees, I think, is an opportunity that God's put on, on our, our plates here in the city. And so I'm just throwing these out as, as possibilities. As in the book, uh, as in the church at Antioch, we don't do it because we think it's a good idea. We do it because God is calling us to do it. And God very specifically called them to set apart Barnabas and Saul, who were actually, you know, amazingly useful people. And they sent them out and they planted churches right across the Mediterranean, eventually to Rome from this. And so, um, we need to see this as, as our vision, as our goal, that we're going to be the resourcing base, that we want to grow strong, we want to develop gifts, not just to stay here, but we want to develop gifts so that we can be reaching out. So, values of New Life Church then, and New Life, evangelism growth by God's grace and favour. Two, a high value on developing people and bringing them to maturity. Three, strong in all the spiritual gifts. Four, loving one another sacrificially and responding to social needs. Five, diversity. Six, seeking God in prayer as our source of strength. And seven, missions in our heart and a strong sending resourcing base. Well, it's interesting, if you look at the very short motto that we have as a church, you'll see our motto is God's kingdom come in Toronto, demonstrating the love of the Father, the truth of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And actually, those map on quite well to the seven values because uh, they either fit into one of those three or they're all of them. Like evangelism, for example, is God's love, God's truth, and God's power all in one thing. But I want to go back just through these, talking about how we can respond to these uh, these things. So missions in our heart, I've just talked about that, and that's something we're looking to, as we move forward, to be strong and be able to do that. Um, seeking God in prayer is our source of strength. Individually, realize the importance of prayer in your life. Be a person of prayer and be somebody who comes to our church prayer meetings March 28th. Let's respond to that. Diversity, respond to this, not just by saying, oh, it's good, it's good that we've got all kinds of cultures represented here. Actually, uh, get to know people. May, may, maybe, may we be a community which is bonded together in love. I love one another sacrificially and respond to social needs. Um, one of the things I love about New Life is the way that People, individual people, do things spontaneously to show love to other groups in the, ch- in, in the church. And I just want to encourage you to stir up your heart to, to, to say, what can I do that, sh- that shares love? Because it's actually better if you do it yourself, if it's not some program run by the church, but it comes from individuals. So just ask God, what can I do that's going to show love? Because this is such a joy to Jesus when we do this. And it was one of the important features of the church at Antioch. Strong in all the spiritual gifts. Make sure you filled one of these out and 
be part of the development that we have as we go through trying to help you as an individual develop your gifts because you are needed for this body. You're needed for what God is doing here at New Life Church. And that goes together with uh, the value on developing people, bringing them to maturity. Those two are quite similar. Um, And the last one, new life, evangelism and growth by God's grace and favor. And I want to say, uh, do you know God's love for you? Do you know that Jesus can set you free? Jesus can bring you, just like that valley of dry bones, from death to life. He can bring you from that concrete of deadness to the plant growing up and something completely new. And to for that to happen, all you have to do is to invite Jesus into your life and say, I need you. I need you. And he will do that. So I want to, I want to suggest that the first way we respond to evangelism, if we're not saved, is to actually ask God to bring us into his kingdom. But the second way that we can respond to this is to pray that the hand of God will be with us as we take the gospel to others. And I'm going to pray now, right now that the hand of God is going to be with every one of you, not just as you evangelize, but in every aspect of your life, that you can say, I know the hand of God in my life, because there is nothing better than to know God's hand in your life. God's power in you that you can say, wow, what a day. I know God has been with me today. And that is a testimony that you can share with others. You can say, you know, I prayed about this and I believe in a God who answers prayer and this happened to me. Isn't that amazing? And you can demonstrate the hand of God in your life as evidence that there is a God and he cares for you. So I just want to pray this over you right now. Thank you, Father, for this example, church, that we've had. We pray, Lord, that we might be like it in every way so that we will be a resourcing base for many brought into your kingdom, that many will come to know you through New Life Church. They'll come to experience new life. But right now, Lord, I want to pray that your hand will be with each one of us during this next week, that we'll be able to say, I know the hand of God was with me. He was with me. I know he was. And particularly that we'll have opportunities to tell others who are not part of your kingdom, who are not followers of Jesus, about you, and that your hand will be with us as we spread the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.